Places, please, for the top of the show. Places, please, for the top of the show. All right, welcome to Waiting for Places. This week we have Laura Scales Ashlock, who is a dear personal friend of mine. We go way back. So we go bad. back to like me wearing pigtails, skipping across a scene shop floor. Correct. In safety goggles, <laughs> no less. Because safety matters. Safety is important. <laughs> I'm so glad oh. uh, that skipping. <laughs> oh, I'm too old to skip now. I tried to skip the other day and I was like, this is not as much fun as it used to be. I know. Old bones. I know. Added weight. Oh, well. <laughs> okay. Well, Laura Scales Ashlock, what is your life story? If you are a superhero, what is your origin story? How did you get to this point? Oh my gosh, what is my origin story? Um, so I was born and raised in Metro Detroit. I was super uh, grateful to my parents for involving me in all of the arts really early on. So I have done all of the things. I have danced and played an instrument and painted and pottery. Um, I might not have done those things well, but I did them. <laughs> Um, and so I went to this little like hippie school in Birmingham, Michigan, and it was amazing. And they're like, go be you be free. Children are adults. Adults are children. Let's all be one together. Um, and it was everything I ever needed and life affirming and all of this jazz. Um, so when I got to middle school, we uh, applied uh, we auditioned for Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat Tour with Donnie Osmond. Um, the tour? I, I didn't know that. Yes, I didn't tour. It was just the sit down. Oh, so they, right. they were smart to sit down in each city with a brand new mm -hmm. pack of children. All those like, moms got to buy tickets. Right. And the dads. Sorry. Equal opportunity. Exactly. And also, like, I can't imagine where you begin to travel 50 <laughs> kids. I don't know. It was enough that we were just there. Um, one day we got food poisoning because they would like take us to a restaurant in between on two show days. And then the pizza place they took us to, we all got food poisoning. Um, it, yeah. Yeah. They took us to eat and we ate and then we came back and we had like another like hour and a half. And then we started dropping like flies mid show and the best stage management team in the entire world had to deal with the fact that we all developed food poisoning mid-show. So they would just swap us off and send us down to break rooms and put us in different costumes and then throw us back on stage. Um, anyway, that's a little fun moment from my history. <laughs> um, but Joseph was really important to me um, because I saw stage managers function for the first time and it was amazing. And I was like, how do I become you? What I want to control the lights and the sound and I want a headset. Um, and fortunately that stage management team um, was so awesome that they would let me like stand by the booth as they called um, channel check. And so right and did the rail calls and I was, or stand by the backstage podium. And so I was like, this is it. <laughs> I'm going to do it. 
I'm going to be you and it's going to be great. Um, so I went back to my little hippie school and I was like, hello, there's this thing called stage management. And they're like, we know what stage managers are. I was like, excellent. I want to be one. And so in high school, I got to start stage managing. Um, and I had an amazing theater teacher who was life-changing, um, as all theater teachers should be. And uh, Annette DePetris was a uh, just amazing human and just inspired all of us to just go for it. She was, uh, she is a working actress, um, an educator. So we got to do these really awesome things and we had equity guest artists come in. And so I got to stage manage for guest artists and that was awesome. Um, so I was pretty much hooked and I still foolishly thought I was going to go into chemistry. I was like, I'm going to go into chemistry and then go in a lab somewhere. Uh, and I'm going to make things with chemicals and cure cancer. Uh, but every time we went on a tour of these liberal arts schools, I would just like stare up at the grid and my whole face would light up in the theater. So um, it was wonderful in the sense that I got to see um, all these different spaces. And uh, then we went to tour DePaul University. Um, and as a ADD dyslexic person, um, shout out to my fellow demigods out there. Um, as a ADD dyslexic person, uh, DePaul has a really great learning resources center. Like it's actually like ranked in the nation um, for uh, being a really great school for those of us uh, who are neurodiverse. Um, I almost said neurodivergent, uh, we're neurodiverse. Um, and so I went there and then it was like, they, on the tour, they're like, all the weird kids are down there. And I was like, oh, let's go see where the weird kids are. My mom was like, yeah, this tour is kind of boring. And so we walked down Kenmore and physically ran into the late, great Frank Wookich. Um, I, I ran into him um and he was like we're like is this the theater school and they're like he's like yes yeah, the theater school what do you want to do and I was like I want to stage manage and he was like why in the world would you want to do that everything's your fault and I was like because I love it and he was like okay come talk to me I'm the head of stage management <laughs> and I was like oh my god so many like many DePaul alum will say we talked for hours um and then uh, went home and I was like, okay, here, here we are on the fence. Uh, and then Frank Wookich called my mother and said, I don't see Laura's application, where is it? And she was like, ah. Uh. And then they talked for three hours about how he was going to take care of me in Chicago. And then it wasn't really that scary. <laughs> um, this is hilarious to me because DePaul University is in Lincoln Park in Chicago, Illinois, right? It's like the least scary part of town. <laughs> it is as yuppie as you get college kids and yuppies with strollers. With so many strollers. Like I could literally sleep on the sidewalks in Lincoln Park and nothing would happen. <laughs> People would probably cover me with a blanket. Right. <laughs> wake up to coffee and a bagel. Like, uh, <laughs> my mom was like, my the city. Oh Lord. Um, so yeah, so they, they talked, I ended up coming to DePaul. Um, and that's when I, I had done a little bit of production management in high school and I was just starting to discover that senior year. And I was like, Ooh, I like this. 
but you know, I went to DePaul and every, everyone, you know, who's 18 is like, I'm going to Broadway. I'm going to stage manage musicals on Broadway. That is my path. I will be 25 and calling the next, you know, hairspray. That is not the path. Um, I quickly discovered that, that was not the path I loved. I've loved children's theater. I loved new work. Um, but really I loved what my advisor was doing. I loved production management. And the more I learned, the more I loved it. And the fact that I got to play with money and I was like, what? I get money? And he was like, yes. And you get to hire people. And I was like, hire people. And he was like, and all the schedules. And I was like, what? and run the meetings. And I was like, this is it. This is it. Do I have to go to rehearsal every night? And he was like, no. And I was like, I'm sold. Sign me up. Uh, sign me up. So <laughs> I knew, uh, I was fortunate enough to know that uh, production management was in my future. I did continue to stage manage all through college. I graduated at stage managed. I did the humanities festival. Um, that was different. So stage managing lectures uh, was an experience. I uh, stage managed for Emerald City when we did Susicle the Musical, still one of my most favorite productions I've ever worked on. It was a show that I called 67 times. I called that show 67 times and there were 496 light cues in that show and it was 47 minutes. Uh, it was never a dull moment. We did skip by twos. So, but it was still a lot of lights. Uh, Mr. John Horan just like concert and Ernie Nolan was like, yes, more lights, more cowbell. Um, so it was a super fun call and my whole spirit lifted up. And then I worked with I'm forgetting their name. I worked with a small storefront theater, did Orange Lemon Egg Canary, and it wasn't a storefront. It was like all of these like like high level assistants and like huge theater companies. Um, anyway, they came together to create their own theater. And I think that the show I did with them was their last, um, but it was great. So we did Orange Lemon at Canary and that's where I met the incomparable Audrey Francis, who was not actually working on that show, but she was a company member. And I mean, like, honestly, she is the best person in this entire universe. So I feel blessed to have not only worked with her once, but to work with her a million times. But uh, on that show is when I cried setting up rehearsal rooms. I was the oh. first setting up a rehearsal room because I was going, I was doing Emerald City's show in the morning, doing that children's theater life. So we have a 10 a.m. curtain and then I would eat lunch on the bus to Stepple for the apprenticeship program that I did with them in production management. And then I would finish that and I'd go race home and get a Tupperware full of pasta and eat that on the L as I went to the rehearsal space for uh for our evening rehearsal and so yeah I cried setting up a rehearsal room um got hospitalized for exhaustion that happened um but then I was like this this is not my life so I moved on from stage management then and I moved to Emerald City um and I became their production manager which was amazing I followed uh Adam Fox's footsteps um there and he and he was awesome and he handed off 
everything beautifully and then the recession hit and there were layoffs so and at production managing the main stage and the tours uh, <laughs> uh in addition to all of the other things so i left uh emerald city um and headed over to the university of chicago uh to production manage there um and to teach stage and production management to their um to the next generation and I was in love. I loved it. I was in love with teaching. We also opened a new building. Um, please go to the Logan Center for the Performing Arts in Hyde Park. So lots of move coordination and like counters are a certain height because I said so. Like the light switches look a certain way because I said so. Like just like a lot of pressure. It's like a lot of pressure. And then you get really possessive when someone's like, these counters are a little low. And I'm like, are they? Where were you? Where were you? <laughs> um, so I did that. And then I had my son, Dax. And uh, everyone says, when you have a baby, your whole life changes. And I was like, no, I'm staying in Chicago forever. And then I like took two seconds and looked into his eyes. And I was like, I must take you home to where there are trees and cows. And life is slower. Um, so <laughs> I looked at moving back to Michigan. Are there... Like, cows in Michigan oh there are tons of cows in Michigan especially at Michigan State University the first <laughs> agricultural school land grant the first land grant school I'm learning so much I have never associated cows with Michigan oh there are a lot of cows in Michigan There's a lot I'm just of saying Wisconsin has the cheese yeah they get a lot of credit but like we got a fair amount of cows here horse look at a lot of agriculture here it's because we're that beautiful climate lots of lakes lakes, um, and you can even grow there's the wineries yes up, up on that tiny peninsula not the top peninsula the tiny one yeah i mean all of michigan's a peninsula as if the audience can see my hand Upper the mitten i'm making well i feel like they know they knew you were making the mitten and the rabbit oh yes the upper michigan rabbit yeah there you go uh <laughs> <laughs> so I went to Michigan State University. They were looking for, I thought I was going to have to leave and go corporate and I was going to cry. Um, but then Michigan State posted the first academic production management position in the state, right? And I have never been so excited or attacked something with so much fervor. Um, and then I got here and I am the first production manager they've ever had. And so it has been a curve. Uh, I'm finishing my third year, so learn you know, spring semester, and then of course, COVID. So I mean, COVID adds a wrinkle to everything. Just a wrinkle. So anyway, I hope that that long story actually answered your question. <laughs> it did. It brought me, it brought you to me to this moment. Wonderful. And you, so you grew up in Michigan, you mm -hmm. went to Chicago for college, had a career, moved back to Michigan. When was there ever a moment where you were like, I'm leaving the Midwest? Or were you just like, nope, I'm happy. These two states are everything I ever want. Absolutely. I was, yeah, never going to leave the Midwest. I was, right? Like, I was like, I'm going to go to New York. Um, and then I was stage managing the showcase uh, for DePaul. And we went to New York and LA. And I was like, uh, I was kind of over New York already, but I was like, yeah, I want to visit. I want to be where Sex in the City was, where Gossip Girl happened. Uh, and so we got there and I was like, oh, I hate this. There are too many people and they put their trash on the street. I can't deal with it. It's too much. I can't walk around in trash. It was like Memorial Day weekend too. Like 
and we were staying in a hotel in Times Square. So I did not get like the best New York experience, but I was like, no. Um, and then we headed to LA and I was like, this is it. Sunshine, movie stars, let's go. And I got to LA and I was outdressed at a 7-Eleven by like a <laughs> 60-year-old woman at 3 a.m. Because my friend Jenny Pinson and I were like, we're going to go get burritos at the 7-Eleven. This will be great. We'll take them back to the pool and we'll eat them. And it's 3 a.m. This is awesome. It's walking distance. And I got there and they were like, oh. And I was like, oh, no. So... <laughs> It kind of cemented for me that I'm definitely a Midwest farmer's daughter type of girl. Which is so funny because you're the daughter of a dentist. I am the daughter of a dentist. You did not grow up on a farm. I did not. Who has literally never picked up a rake. If he has, (laughs) I'm shocked. Um, I am shocked. My mom's a vet though. So I feel like I get to kind of claim that. Right. Because did did you ride horses? You rode horses. I, I rode horses. I taught horseback riding for a while. Right. Farm That's the, there. there's your farm girl, Midwestern. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I know how to muck a stall. Yeah. I know how to feed, I know how to birth a calf if I had to. <laughs> I can shear a sheep. I'm really, really proud of being from the Midwest. I know. I am, too. Had said entire podcast about Central Region. Amazing. Um, anyway. Okay. So you've kind of talked about why you like production managing, mm-hmm. but like, as hide from your initial being like, oh, I can do calendars and deal with money. What is it now that you've been doing this for over 10 years? How old are we? Um, so now that you've been doing this professionally for a theater company, for a school, what is it that appeals to you about production managing? Sure. I love, um, I love everything I started with. Um, I love the Rubik Cube the Rubik's Cube of theater. Uh, I get, my attention span is not very long as mentioned before. Uh, So I love being able to work on multiple shows at once. So it's amazing as a stage manager, it's like, yeah, this is great. I might work on like two shows at one. Like I might have one in the hopper. Um, But when I'm production managing, like right now I'm working on five, I am production managing five different shows. It is all insane because of COVID. But I'm production managing five different shows, getting ready for next season. So technically I'm working on like 10 different projects right now. Um, And I'm almost always working on, technically it's 15 because we have our summer season as well. So technically working on 15 projects right now. Um, And I love that. Um, it is also what will keep me up at night if, you know, things start to fall apart, um, and they domino, but I really like being able to, to multitask and to hit all of the various moments. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What do you like about educating? I love everything about teaching and mentoring the next generation, Uh, that was like when I knew I had a problem in Emerald City because I cared way more about teaching the interns than I could ever have cared about what was happening on that stage. Um, everything was like a learning experience. Um, it just, it just was. Um, I was like, interns can't take out the trash. What do they gain from that? Uh, it was, um, it was just, uh, everything to me. I love watching people learn. I love watching people like 
figure out what they want to do and then just to like go for it. Um, I also love talking um, and I get to talk all of the time and people listen. I have a captive audience. I almost said a captured audience. Um, Freudian slip. Audience. Um, and, uh, and students are great. I mean, I could not be production managing 15 shows at once if I wasn't doing this academically, right? Like I could not keep that all in my head and amongst my team. It's too much, it's too much to do. Um, But educationally, I can pull in different students and convert them to the dark side of management. Um, and be like, hello, I know you like stage managing. Let me tell you about these other things. It's like stage managing, but with your evenings and weekends mostly free. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I get to put them on different shows and watch them succeed. And everything is coming back to like a very conf- like specific purpose. Um, and I love that. I, I love um, the opportunities to do that and the opportunities to connect people with professionals in the world. I think that's really important and inspiring. And as you're looking at these next generations, is are you hopeful or is there something where you're like, you will, learn, if there is one thing I could import, impart to you, this is what you need to know before you go out into the world? Um, I think the most important thing for both young stage managers and production managers to know um, is that everything is your fault and they're gonna be mad either way and i I love that i'm sorry i don't mean to interrupt you but i love that you mentioned that because you were as you were talking about production management you were like it's like stage management but nights and weekends off and in my head i'm like and way more responsibility that's why (laughs) i don't do it i'll work nights and weekends but i know that i can also call my production manager if something goes wrong and my actor overslept his alarm and just hasn't shown up I can be like hey what do you want me to do about that do you want to do you want to kit what do you want me to do exactly and I love being on the other end of that phone I love being on the other end of the phone it's like problem solving to like the nth degree where you can't you have no idea what's going to happen we had an actor for Cinderella sorry story time we had an actor for Cinderella um inside of a well and we had him like all decked out, right? Like he was playing a rat and it was like fairy gown mom was going to come along and like wave her wand and he was going to pop out of this well. And I mean, like we had everything, like he had his phone, we had a little caddy, like he had earphones, water, magazines on stage from pre-show in there for 47 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. We ran it the whole time because we did not have the money to figure out how to get him in the thing and he was great and then one day i'm taping the show for understudies i'm in the in the audience taping the show and then uh he comes out of the well the kids go because they're children and also the adults were like have you been in there the whole time (laughs) and i was like he's fine we built it for him um but i'm all proud of myself and he says his line like this and then he runs off stage and I was like why are you covering your nose and so I immediately just like run backstage and he's just like gushing blood just like gushing blood but the reason he's in the well is because the well transforms into Cinderella's carriage and it is a very highly choreographed 
moment that takes exactly three people to pull off. So I am like stage management, ASMs are back there like dealing with him. Stage management's on like trying like we three minutes till this changed. And I just come race, I like rolled up my pant legs and I grabbed his mouse hat and I come racing on and I just like sing and dance his part and change the carriage and then run off stage. because that's what we had that's what we had to do so like I love the and then I burned the footage um but I love (laughs) that problem solving moment I do I love that problem solving moment of being the person to call but yeah I if if you if I could give advice honestly and this is advice I got at that age like I was 22 I was honestly I was 18 and headstrong and um and it was like everything is your fault and they're going to be mad either way. Once you can find, and I'm still working on getting there. Once you can like accept that, like if you can just accept that everything is your fault and it doesn't, if they're just going to be mad, then it's a liberating experience to be like, yeah, okay. Yep. I, and then don't, cause otherwise you try to work your way around how it wasn't your fault. If it happened on your team, it was probably your fault. Um, you know, when, when one of your actors opens the real super glue on stage that no one gave him super glue, no one gave him super glue. Um, we were doing house of yes. And he was like fiddling with stuff and he brought his own super glue from home. This is educational. And he was playing with it and he had opened it on the middle of the bed sheets and, He had like, you know, was pretending to do whatever business he was supposed to be doing and like glued his hand to the the bed sheet, but also glued the super glue and the item he was gluing to the bed sheet. Um, And we were supposed to have a sex scene in, oh, I don't know, one minute and 30 seconds. Um, And so luckily best director in the entire world was not mad, director of the program, livid. And it was like, Yes, somehow I would have known to tell this actor to not bring in real super glue from home to glue this fictional thing together that's just business so that he doesn't look awkward backstage. So um, so I think that that is definitely one of those moments for me where everything is your fault and just accept that it's your fault and accept that they're going to be mad. They're going to be mad either way mm-hmm. that's true if you're stage manager or production manager and just solve the problem because at the end it doesn't matter it does matter whose fault it is but at the same time it's already happened so it kind of doesn't matter it doesn't matter at all it, it's and if you is great yep sorry he super glued this we need a new bedspread we need a new bedspread yeah now we have to solve the problem that we have now Correct. Correct. And funny, watch this boy do a sex scene with a comforter just glued to his hand. <laughs> it was amazing. It was amazing. Um, I'm we glad don't he did well it. Hold. Uh, <laughs> so good. So good. Um, how has being a mother approach changed your approach to work? Or how has work changed your approach to motherhood? Are you like, do you like production manage your kids? 
Oh, I... I think I've raised like a tiny little terrorist, my four-year-old. I love him so much. He he was literally negotiating with me yesterday. Like he was like, mama, I would like popcorn and Skittles. And I was like, okay. And I was like, you get popcorn and Skittles and you have time for two episodes of Paw Patrol. And he was like, well, I would really like to see the popcorn pop. And I said, well, then you won't have time for two episodes of Paw Patrol. And he was like, well, what if I have, what if I watch the popcorn pop and I put in the Skittles do I have enough time to watch Mighty Pups? And I was like, Mighty Pups is longer than two episodes of Paw Patrol. And he was like, okay, well, what if we started it four minutes in? And I was like, you don't know what four minutes means, but okay. I was like, we'd have to end it 10 minutes early. So can I have back the time that we've been having this conversation for Mighty Pups? And I was like, oh no. You are reclaiming your time. <laughs> fine. Uh, fine. And of course you got to watch the whole Mighty Pups and watch the popcorn pop. Like, honestly, like I am a pushover with that child and I love it. And I love how strong he is. Um, so I must production manage him because he literally just production managed me <laughs> um, ever so clearly uh, last <laughs> night. <laughs> Um, I think that I am generally a very maternal person. I try to take care of people. That was a problem. It wasn't great in my stage management. Um, that was something that it took me a long time in college to kind of get over where it's like, please, like, please stop calling the actors to remind them that they're going to have call times. So there was a lot of stuff like if you don't want to do it, um, if you don't want to do it for the rest of your life, don't start. Um, and other advice my mom got on her wedding day uh, from my namesake, Aunt Laura. She said, don't start nothing you don't want to do for the rest of your life. And therefore, my mother does not do my dad's laundry and doesn't cook. <laughs> she just does it because then he'll like, she's like, yeah, he, my dad's like, I do my own laundry. And my husband was like, do you? And I was like, you do your own What? No, I'm not doing laundry for the rest of my life. Um, so I think that some of those maternal things got switched to kids. And also it just uh, reprioritized everything for me. I would stay up super late or work crazy hours trying to get the show up and off the ground. And it's like, no, I'm going to go home because this doesn't matter more than my kid. Mm-hmm. So that's where we landed. Is it easier to establish boundaries now? Because you're like, I have a kid. Um, I mean, it's it's easier, but I, there's definitely flack. Like, I definitely get a lot of pushback, um, even in education where the majority of us have children. Um, my TD is cranky whenever anyone goes on maternity leave. And it's like, mm, some of us didn't know that we were going to be pregnant. Some of us got a little surprise, the best surprise. So yeah, I had to go push a baby out. I'm so sorry that that meant you had to do X, Y, or Z. Um, but, and he has two kids. Uh, and it's stage manager. It's always crazy to me. Or yeah, when people are like, ugh, maternity leave. And I'm like, you do know that without women having babies, there will be no more human species, right? like yeah it's we will expire without them we will no one else will be here um yeah it's definitely it is definitely weird there is a lot of discrimination in our industry 
about it. People get weird about it. They're like, oh, are you going to be able to do this? You have a kid. Like the first, when I first got pregnant with Dax, I was like, oh, well, we, we didn't want you to do this because, you know, you'll have a kid. And I was like, crazy on hormones just like out of my cord and I was like I can do whatever um but I will say that with both children I well with Cecily she was an emergency c-section she's my five month old and I love her she's gonna be six months in five days uh I can't stand it but she <laughs> um she was an emergency c-section I had her at 1 30 in the morning um and I was in the faculty meeting at 3.30 in my hospital bed, like zoomed up. And they were like, Laura, didn't you just have a baby? And I was like, I did. So can I go first? Uh, <laughs> here's the thing you need to know. It was, it was going to be faster for me to do it over Zoom than it was to type it up. So that's, you know, um, so my work-life balance, not as great. Better after having kids, but not so yeah. I definitely remember you texting on your wedding. Like you were like, give me my phone. I'm texting my director. Okay. Here's my phone back. Don't let me text again. <laughs> right? I needed, we were opening how I became a pirate and I picked my wedding date around our production schedule. Let's talk about work-life health. Um, I picked my wedding date because I looked at the fat last five years of when they produced and came up with a date that we weren't going to be in tech or opening a show. And then they changed the we just did How I Became a Pirate, and they wanted it on National Talk Like a Pirate Day, which was also my wedding. So I tacked a show and then drove off into the night for rehearsal dinner. And then, yeah, I had to call. I needed to, it was running over, it was running too long, and I needed to know. <laughs> going back to an, the educational because I was going to ask how are you planning once you're back at work how are you planning to incorporate the we see white American theater demands but you're at work oh, yeah. theater or academic theater has continued throughout COVID oh yeah we mm -hmm. we are so lucky uh, we're so lucky uh, we especially at Michigan State we've had no we've had one layoff we laid off one over hire carpenter who happened to be my husband, <laughs> but it's fine. Now he's it's, a stay at home dad. He's a stay at home dad now. Um, and he's loving it. So he's all about like making his own baby food. It's great. Um, so he's like having all this stuff. Uh, we kept going, uh, and it's been a lot of like, okay, we're going to do it. Like really like, yeah, we're going to do it. And I'm like, are we? are we going to do it? Um, so I basically got to say from like March until this morning, and I will continue after this conversation. Um, so I don't know if we're going to be able to do this. So we're doing a parking garage show, which is not in a parking garage. It's on a dorm campus moment. Uh, but we're doing an outdoor show. We're doing a show that was supposed to be in person in-person outdoors in Michigan in February. All of this is stuff they came up with while I was on maternity leave. So I walked back into this. So um, yeah, don't ever leave. Uh, 
of you go into production managers. Don't ever leave. Uh, but they're lovely and they're wonderful. And we're trying to do costume fittings. And our costume shop manager came up with the best way that she could possibly think to do them safely. And it relied on the students bringing stuff back. And only half of them brought their costume back. And then the building was closed for two days. And then it was the weekend. So now we lost a week. Um, so like we we are we are limping. We're limping along, um, but we're doing something because we still have students who are trying to graduate and go out into this world. We can't all be Yale to just give them an extra year, if only. I know. Are you having them do digital theater? There's a little bit of digital. There's a little bit of audio. There, we're going to try these two hybrid productions. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot. So the We See White American Theater has been super important to me. Um, I am one of three uh, Black faculty members. There are only three people of color, period. In um, the theater department or in, in MSU? No, 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 in the theater department. Okay. In the theater department. Um, but not very many more in my college, um, but the College of Arts and Letters, so we are definitely a minority, uh, but I am the only uh, Black female part of our uh, faculty member uh, or staff member, and the um, my two colleagues are both from Africa, so Phillip's from Nigeria uh, and Gatu is from Ethiopia. Uh, so they did not necessarily grow up here. They came here for MSU um, and other academic, you know, brilliant men, super wonderful teachers. So like racism in American theater is not something that they have necessarily experienced. Um, but I like, I loved it and I was cheering it on. It was so great to see like names of friends and colleagues on that list. And and I'm bringing it in going, uh, so what are we gonna do about this? Um, and so we are slowly but surely trying to figure out how to walk our way through it. And we have a new chair, which is amazing. I love him. Um, and he uh, is committed to this, um, but also I sat in a design faculty meeting and I was like, I'm killing a 10 out of 12. I have feelings about it now, but it's gonna die. So. Let's figure it out. Because um, those are things that should just, if you can't get it done and the amount of time that you have, let's just kill it. Um, you know, and the next step is to talk to acting faculty because they're the ones directing these shows and they very much love their 10 out of 12s because they only do them once a year. Design faculty was like, that sounds great. <laughs> I support that. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. We're also in season selection and trying to keep it, you know, at the forefront of, of our minds. So we'll, we'll see. We only have a handful of uh, students of color. Um, so, and we're in Central Michigan University, about 10 minutes from the Capitol, where they like to try to kidnap our governor. Um, and we're the first to protest about wearing masks being against their fundamental rights. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of work to do, um, but that's kind of where, where we are. So fortunately I have some really amazing colleagues who are amazing allies and accomplices and I'm not the only person who has to be like, hi, so maybe we don't 
do this, but also in terms of gender, like maybe we don't do how to succeed in business. Mm-hmm. And maybe we don't do a gender swap on that and then give a really transphobic read to that mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Anyway. And didn't you just win an award? I did. I won a university award uh, for um, emerging leadership in diversity. So I won an all-campus, thank you, thank you, uh, an all-campus diversity award. I thought it was for my department and I was like, oh, y'all are sweet, thank you. And then I thought it was for the college and I was like, oh, that's awesome. And then I realized that it was signed by the president and I was like, oh my God, yeah, thank you. Um, so that was lovely recognition for just trying to get us to a place that larger cities are already in, but they're making great strides. My Dean is, he has his pronouns in his signature and on his Zoom menu, and it has taken a lot of work to get this there. And I am really proud, um, of the things that we're doing. So, Yeah. Award-winning Laura Scales Ashley. Yeah, you just drop that into your Zoom. Make that your Zoom title. Award-winning Zoom title. Yeah. What? So you've kind of talked about this a little bit, and I think the reason you and I bonded is because we are both nerds. Let's be honest. We bonded because we're both nerds. Mm -hmm. But what are you a nerd about? You know that my thing is Beauty and the Beast, and that I could talk. I could teach an entire graduate seminar on one fairy tale. What is the thing? <laughs> teach an entire dissertation. I plan on getting a, a PhD with a dissertation in Beauty and the Beast. Look out for it. That's my retirement plan. But what is, what is your thing that like if someone catches you on the raw at the wrong time, you're like prepare yourself for a four hour lecture. Oh my gosh, I I have been thinking about this because you were sweet enough to send me these questions ahead of time. Um, I. I don't know because there are so many different things. I feel like I either love something with all of my heart or I am indifferent or I hate it. Um, So if you catch me on a bad day, it'll be about Twilight because that entire saga made me want to rip my hair out of my head. I watched all of the movies and read all of the books so I could talk about how much I hated it and how she was an anti-feminist yeah did you read midnight sun yes it's terrible they're all terrible i know but like midnight sun is terrible yeah midnight sun is the worst but then i read the host which stephanie meyer also wrote good that book is great it's fascinating right i was like this is a great concept it's a well-rounded story you don't sound like a 10th grader writing (laughs) fan fiction like about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. One, she upset. She did not follow the rules. And Rice described what a vampire is. And everyone has adhered to that except for Stephanie Myers. Like they sparkle. And I'm like, I hate you. Well, hate you. first of all, vampires don't sparkle. Secondly, if vampires sparkle in the sunlight and there's actually no adverse effects to being in the sunlight, then there is no reason that the Volturi have not taken over the world. There is no reason for the vampires not to be completely in control of everything. Oh my gosh. There are no adverse effects. There aren't. And I was ready. I mean, like, everyone's like, ooh, Twilight, ooh, Twilight. And I, I did not start off hating it. I read the first book and I was ready. I was like, I love 
young adult fiction. That's what I'm a nerd for. I love young adult fiction. Um, I love reading. I love vampires. I was prepared. This should have been for me. And then it wasn't. And then my sister-in-law, who I love at that moment, was like, well, I think it's supposed to be really good because like she doesn't have sex. And I was like, she sneaks out of the house. She doesn't listen to her parents. She leaves. She mopes. She tries to kill herself over a boy. Like I would so much rather my child just like have sex all over our house, like over the entire <laughs> house than do anything that Bella has done in any of these books. She is the worst. Um, so yeah, apparently um, it brings me great satisfaction to complain about Twilight. Um, but <laughs> Young Adult Fiction is my, my favorite Rick Riordan. Ugh. I'm a Harry Potter nerd who has been trying to reckon with the fact that J.K. Rowling is a terrible person. Can I advocate um, for everyone who loves Harry Potter to discover the Percy Jackson books? Yeah. Referenced. Oh my God. Because I know this is blasphemy, but I'm going to say it. They're better than Harry Potter. They are. J.K. Rowling's such a great writer. Like She's definitely a better writer than Rick Riordan, but like, honestly, my... Uh, my nibbling was reading these books and I was like what has them laughing and staying up past their bedtime and it was just like gotta read it so yeah I start with Percy Jackson huge fan of the Cain Chronicles huge fan gets to do some Egyptian mythology um Mangus Chase has a new book coming out love that Um, I just started Trials of Apollo because I had a baby um my first baby I know I yeah Trials of Apollo is like eh, kidderous right um I have my I'm first still like two books movie. behind in Trials of Apollo that's how not interested I am in reading it I restarted it and I have the audiobooks so I'm like we're gonna start this again and it's gonna happen um but yeah I I feel like I could do an entire class on Rick Riordan's work um but it's a lot of fun and it's so inclusive and just makes me happy in my heart but yeah any kind of young adult fiction I'm there for it that and Battlestar Galactica yeah I just want to share with the world about the time that you and I and our boss skipped work to go to our boss's house to watch high school musical two yes we did I just want to share with the world that that happened (laughs) I mean like honest to god it was wonderful so great oh i mm-hmm. uh finally summer's here it be chilling out yeah it was yeah it was awesome i i like sometimes fear that my mentality like stopped somewhere around 13 14 oh uh, i'm convinced that whoever we are in junior high is like who we are is how we see ourselves for the rest of our lives yeah right like and maybe it can change a little bit, but basically I'm always going to be insecure because I was the bottom of the pecking order. And I'm always going to be overly confident because I was at the top of the pecking order, but all of my friends were at the bottom and I was like, I don't know why I can't all hang out. <laughs> and then they would get really mad. They're like, because they're not cool. And I was like, I'm going to go hang out with them. Okay, bye. Um, and then they get really mad. People get really upset if you're part of the in-group and you hang out with someone who's part of the out-group and then they feel like they're being oppressed and then they get mean and you're like, I don't care. And then they get madder 
Bossy from Bossy. That's well, wear it with pride. Oh, yeah. What brings you joy? Everything. Um, that's a really great question. I've been asking myself a lot. Um, I, uh, I'm a different person than I was at the beginning of the pandemic. Over 500,000 people have died. And I feel like I have watched who people are um, and their true spirits come out. And there is definitely a divide. Um, all of my close friends have been really great about doing their part and wearing masks and, you know, being distant and trying to like, you know, um, be respectful. And then there are some people who like, I would have been like, oh my God, yeah, we're totally friends who like have flown to small islands. And I'm like, ooh, but okay. Um, so I think that there's, I am definitely a different person and I am exploring who that person is. Um, granted, I also was pregnant at the start of the pandemic and then had a baby five weeks early who was in the NICU for two weeks. So I feel like that's kind of where that landed. Um, so I think we're actually like a year exactly from the day that I last saw you in person. Oh my gosh. Where I was like, Katrina. When you were like, why am I feeling so nauseous? And I was like, are you pregnant? And you were like, I'm gonna check a thing. Let me check my calendar. Yeah, let me let me check my calendar. M must be wrong. Let me like walk to this CVS. I left you and like walked to a CVS. Um, I think I peed on a stick in the Second City bathroom. Uh, <laughs> Second City has been marked. Exactly. Um, so yeah, but it's been a year. I am I am a different person and. And I am almost pushing a year being in my house. I've been self-isolated because, yeah. And so, like, we've left for doctor's appointments. But the last place I went was the post office. And, um, yeah, the last place I went was the post office. And, and that was it. I'm really grateful that I saw all of my, all of my um, friends, not all my friends, but I saw almost all of my friends in Chicago, like a week before this lockdown happened, um, and had a great time. Um, but yeah, I'm a different person. So trying to figure out what brings me joy, um, when I am so empathetic that I just think about all these people who have lost people, uh, and all these people who have died and all the ways that our government failed us over and over and over again, when I was like, you couldn't possibly fail us and watching the entire industry just pause and then call it talking with friends and former students who are just crying and trying to figure out how they're gonna put food on the table and I'm different so right now um my kids bring me joy watching them play with things um brings me a lot of joy um reading has been great has brought me uh, a lot of joy uh in reading I started reading Bridgerton oh my god it's a bodice ripper it is just, I haven't watched it yet because I was like, I'm going to watch this. This sounds great. Yeah, I, want, I apparently have to get to book four if I don't want to ruin it. So um, apparently there's- I mean, just watch it. Just watch it, Laura. No, You're going to lose I, your mind over how good it is. First. There's, it'll be there. I mean, I've you, but Right? I'm almost just watch it. I'm almost done with book three. I just have to get through book four. Okay. And then I'm going to love it. Um, so that, that has brought me joy. Um, but yeah, sleeping brings me joy. 
but yeah, so just kind of redefining who I am. Plus shopping was something that brought me joy. Traveling is something that brings me joy. And I haven't been able to do either of those. Amazon comes every day. <laughs> it's like a problem. Between my husband and I, like it's a problem. Ah, it's a problem. But also like purses bring me joy. Where am I going though? So I've started carrying a purse around my house because I miss them. I mean, look, we've all, you said you became a different person. Now you're a person who carries a purse. I wear slippers and carry a purse around my house. I'm pretty much my grandmother at this point. And it's amazing. Um, Knitting brings me joy. And you have a business. I do. I am the owner of Lola Bug Designs. I hand knit stuff and sell it on Etsy. And that brings me great joy sometimes then sometimes it brings me great stress but most of the time it's joy you seem to be very excited about your new comfy slippers that you they're knit. so cozy i'm gonna mail you a pair i need your new address by the way okay. um don't give it to me over your podcast so that people don't show <laughs> up at your house watching your autograph um uh yeah they're super cozy they're like wool and like I it was one of those things where I thought it was going to be really hard and I made like a it was part of my new year's resolution that I was going to learn how to make slippers because I love slippers and then it was so easy like it was so easy and then I modified the pattern and I was like this is excellent I want these um so yeah I've just been cranking out slippers and and I think that's great and now I think I'm going to start making hooded blankets using half of the slipper pattern but modified because I think I can make the heel of the hood the heel of the sock and the heel and the hood be the same pattern I don't know if that'll actually work but if it does you you heard it here first I wanna if it if it works I'm a Nita hooded blanket right I'm gonna make that and then we have like pockets for the hands so you can just like close yourself up in it I think what you're actually describing is a hooded poncho yes okay but I want <laughs> the to more to I the think floor. about it the more I'm like I think that's actually but I want to go to the floor I want to like encasement I just want to be cozy all the time that's all I want a hooded cape a floor-length cape a floor-length cape I also enjoy not being cold like it's winter and I have gotten to enjoy winter in the sense that I can put on the appropriate clothes and go outside and enjoy winter and then come back inside but there's nowhere where I have to like dig out my car and go mm-hmm. so like I said very 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 grateful to still have a position in this pandemic and one that op- operates remotely absolutely well I want to say thank you thank you for joining me and talking to me for an hour it is always my pleasure to talk to you thank you for letting me ramble at your listeners Yes. Well, I wish they could see your glorious face because it brings me joy. That's what brings me joy. Oh, I miss you. Okay, I'm going to stop the recording. Also, I do miss you too. Places, please, for the top of the show. We are at places for the top of the show. This was the third episode of Waiting for Places, a podcast highlighting stage managers living and working in the central region of the United States. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to it. It will help other stage managers find it. Also make sure to click subscribe so you can get new episodes when they drop. This podcast was presented by Ethical Rioting Productions. I am your host, Katrina Herman. This week on Waiting for Places, you heard from Laura Scales Ashlock. The stage manager calling places was Lindsay Sigler. 
This episode was edited by Katrina Herman with graphic design by Nicholas B. Paluha. A huge thank you to Morgan Zupanski, Chris Laporte, and the rest of the Waiting for Places think tank. Fredo Aguilar, Caitlin Boddy, Mary Hungerford, and Jacqueline Saldana. Stand by for the next episode. All right, folks, we've been given the all clear, so it looks like we are ready to get started.